morning, everyone. I want us to uh, locate in our Bibles the New Testament letter to the Romans. Romans. And in just a moment, we're going to do something a bit different, actually. Most of the time when someone says that, hearts sink, mine does. It only means we're not going to have a sermon, we're not going to preach, or any number of weird things ensue. But what we're going to do this morning is actually walk through various passages within this letter of Scripture, which is not normally known for its emphasis on the resurrection. Most of the time people think about Romans, they think about justification. They think about the the things that benefit us. And yet the resurrection is so much at the heart of everything you read in the New Testament. It is implicit and it is explicit. If you, um, if you go on to um, uh, chat GPT as I did last night and, uh, and, uh, and just wondering, am I, am I crazy? I think AI sometimes is. Some of the answers I get are uh, very amusing. But um, uh, I, I, I typed in uh, how many references to the resurrection are there in Romans? And it said it was all throughout Romans. And it gave me just three or four. Now, I already knew that I had a list substantially longer than that. So I pressed it again. And I I said, can you list the references to the resurrection? It listed six, still short of the references that I had identified. Um, uh, It said six that were explicit. It quoted them even. And then it said that um, uh, there were others that were implicit. So I'm not satisfied with the way this thing is operating. I asked, can you list explicit and implicit references altogether. And it still was incomplete. So um, uh, after all of its explicit references to the resurrection, implicit references to the resurrection, it then gets to uh, a little thing that says, um, but there are many other references throughout. It's all throughout. So even the robots know. The question is, do we know? And that's what we're going to, uh, to find out. It is a a creedal statement that um, is uh, stated in various creeds and confessions in some manner or other. We believe in the resurrection. Can we say that together this morning? We believe in the resurrection. We'll say it one more time. We believe in the resurrection. And because we are Trinitarian, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as well. Let's say it one more time. We believe in the resurrection. I certainly hope we believe in the resurrection. Otherwise, I don't have any idea what we're doing here this morning, what songs we were just singing. What do we mean by the songs we just sang if we do not believe in the resurrection? What what are we doing with our interpretive method if when we listen to the Scriptures that have been read, we we go away from that saying, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's all very nice. I don't really believe in the resurrection. Indeed, I saw this week a seminary president. I'm not dissing seminaries. I went to a seminary and there are some fantastic ones. But this particular one would not be recommended. Uh, The president stated something along the lines of, you know, uh, the resurrection gives us a message of hope and so on and so forth. And uh, you don't have to believe in the literal resurrection to go away with, um, with the beauty of its message. It has no beauty or message if it is not real. It's a myth. 
And it's an inspiring myth, maybe, but why is it inspiring? Think about that next time you watch a film where there's something extraordinary and miraculous that happens towards the end that turns it all around, where some character that you thought was dead isn't really, or maybe they were dead, but they come back. Where does that come from? Why, why, why do I have a particular reaction to those mythological moments in cinema? Because Jesus is risen, and I'm reacting not so much to the power of that moment on the screen or in the story, but I'm reacting to the memory of Jesus is risen. Nice story. I see where you got it from. That's, that's the emotion that's driving that. Do we believe in the resurrection? We just said we did. You could have stayed silent. We believe in the resurrection. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to seek to persuade you of the historicity of the resurrection. Only to state with all Christians for 2,000 years that we believe in it. The existence of Jesus cannot be credibly questioned. The crucifixion of Jesus cannot be reasonably denied. The reality of the empty tomb was never disputed, not even by Jesus' enemies. Eyewitness accounts and personal experiences of Jesus as resurrected, after He was supposed to be dead and buried, may be completely outside the realm of normal human experience, but they cannot be rationally attributed to hallucination or misidentification. And the consistent testimony of people who only had everything to lose, and indeed did lose everything, even their very lives, destroys the idea that His body was simply taken and hidden. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the Christian faith. If you do not believe that Christ died, was buried, and is risen, you are not in any recognizable, definitional, historical terms a Christian. There is no meaningful Christianity apart from the resurrection. And as much as I would like for you to continue to attend and continue to be exposed to resurrection believers such as ourselves, there is that element in me that would wonder, why bother? If you do not believe in the resurrection, why pretend to have anything to do with Christ? It is far more honest to say, I reject Christ than it is to say, I accept Christ whilst inwardly denying that He is risen from the dead. So fundamental is the resurrection of Jesus to the faith. We believe in the resurrection. Now, here is what that means. Read Romans 1, 2 through 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. I'll read from verse 1 so it makes grammatical sense. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater. He's great, just greater than, you're not really supposed to end a sentence that way. Greater than what? Greater than who? Greater than, you've just left the sentence hanging. Jesus is greater. Greater than what? Yes. Any what that you care to name, Jesus is greater. Any who that you care to name, Jesus is greater. Any how or where that that, that you care to name, Jesus is greater. And that is at the heart of this uh, this passage which we just read. Though, Though others are called sons of God, in various senses throughout Scripture. Indeed, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you are called God's son, God's child. Uh, we are told that Jesus is unique, such that He is the one and only Son or the only begotten Son. The Scriptures speak of Jesus as Son. I want you to be clear on this because some people will, will, will tell you this. I have a, a sign that I put outside on Woodgreen High Road some of you have seen it, that has uh, questions and answers. And uh, one of them says, Jesus is God. And um, uh, even professing Christians, uh, it's a true or false thing, a quiz I do with people. True or false? Even people who are in churches that believe in the Godhead of Jesus Christ will say, oh no, He's the Son of God. Jesus is not God, He's the Son of God. And I, I, I talk with them a bit, and I'm thinking they're being discipled by other people, other voices. They think they know what that means, but they, even, they don't even know what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. Indeed, I wonder if you know what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. Jesus is not Son in the sense of temporal reproduction. You are someone's son or daughter through reproduction. Jesus is not Son in that sense. Jesus is Son by something that is called, completely out of our experience, eternal generation. The Scriptures say that He is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact imprint of His nature. It is using language that was familiar in that culture to those people to whom He initially revealed Himself that tells us Jesus is greater. He calls God Father. But he also says in John 14, 9, that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The language of Son, in the sense in which it is applied to Jesus, is used by the Jews to say that someone shares the nature of someone or something used literally or figuratively. 
As the theologian uh, John Frame summarizes very neatly, the Son shares the Father's knowledge, love, powers, and prerogatives. Nature, abilities, and actions that are attributed only to God are attributed to Jesus. And as Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, it was understood by those who heard Him as a claim to be God with us. Which is ultimately why He was killed. That's another conversation you might have. Someone wonders why Jesus was killed or someone's talking and they're saying the reasons why Jesus was killed. And they might make out that, oh, he's a, he was a revolutionary. Some people, they, they go with revolutionary Jesus. Jesus was a revolutionary. That's why he was killed. The establishment had it out for him. And, and, and while there are strands of that which are not entirely incorrect, he certainly was not an insurrectionist. He, he was not a, a political threat. They wanted him to be, and he refused to be. He did not embody their vision of kingship. He was killed, ultimately, really, on charges of blasphemy. Now, the Romans could not kill Jesus because of blasphemy because they didn't feel that their gods had been blasphemed particularly. When you have a a load of gods that you're worshiping, what's one more in the mix? It's not particularly offensive. But Jesus says that He is the Son of God. The Jews hear it as He is God, that He he is deity, that He is equal to God. And so we are told that they planned on that basis to kill Him. And when He did stuff like raising other people from the dead that demonstrated that He was God, how did they interpret that? Well... You know, he's raising people from the dead. Only God can do something like that. We have to kill him. This this man is is clearly demon-possessed. He's a blasphemer. So they become very irate, very angry about Jesus' claims to be God. As a result, they have their secret tribunal and trial and all of that. All of the claims are made. They accuse him even of, of saying things about himself that only God says in the Hebrew Scriptures. And he affirms those things. When he speaks, he speaks in the affirmative, not at all denying the things that have, have been communicated. It's interesting then when they take it to Pilate, Pilate sees there's nothing wrong with him. He, it, blasphemy. That's not... That doesn't meet the standards of execution under the Roman Empire. So they have to make it about something entirely different. It's not about blasphemy. He's stirring up the crowds. They're angry. It it is about, at this point, um, uh, rioting. Now, Jesus isn't responsible for that. It's the people that are stirred up about it all. But if it keeps the peace, he's going to kill Jesus. So this this joint conspiracy, the Jews are killing him because of blasphemy. The the Romans are killing him just to to keep the peace, really, because things are getting out of control and they're afraid that news will get back to the the emperor and Pilate will lose his job and his perks and all of that. So they kill Jesus. Why? Because he made himself equal to God. Jesus is always Lord. Lord. But His resurrection declares what was always true. 
but which for a moment was veiled by His humanity. It also demonstrates that Jesus is not only greater than death in theory, but really and truly. It would be one thing for Jesus to say, I am the resurrection and the life. It's quite another for Him to show it. Truly God, one with the Father, equal participant in the glory of of God before the ages began. But He was made truly man, descended from David according to the flesh in the verses that we just read. So He died. But He was truly man without stopping being truly God. So truly God, one with the Father, equal participant in the glory of God before the ages began, He rose again. You can't escape death. He didn't even try to escape death. He embraced it. And then He threw it down. Because Jesus is greater. Uh, you might have... I don't know if you read the, the newspaper or if you, if you do, if you read the Times or any of that. I'm not making any uh, statements about that. But there's an interesting article yesterday by uh, Matthew Paris. The headline says... Choose heroes before martyrs any day. And apparently he thought Easter weekend was the appropriate time at which to speak about, as he puts it, Christianity's unhealthy obsession with victimhood. And um, uh, talks about how the crucifixion of Jesus did not make Jesus any better of a person or uh, make his teachings any more noble, but we've built this whole uh, religion around Jesus and the cross and so on and so forth. And it's uh, clearly based out of a fundamental misunderstanding rooted in an incomplete picture. If Jesus did stay on the cross and go into the grave and that was it, then he might have a point of a misunderstood, tragic victim as any number of other political assassins over the years where we might quote Him every now and then. We might have a a Jesus Christ day in the calendar. We might have some annual hat tip to this guy's memory, but He would just be a political martyr, a victim of assassination in some form. But Jesus is risen. And so He is greater. And it is not His crucifixion which tells us that Jesus is someone we should follow. It is not His crucifixion that tells us His teachings are are, are worth listening to. But it is His resurrection which gives meaning to His crucifixion which shows us that we can and must come to Him. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater. I've got to keep... Moving, the resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than our self-righteousness. Go to Romans chapter 4, verse 24. Talking about Abraham, we are told that faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was also counted to us. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised Him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than our self-righteousness. You see, self-righteousness is our attempt to save ourselves. 
Self-righteousness is what you do when you look down at someone else who is in the room today because they've not arrived at where you are yet. Self-righteousness is when you don't even come into the, the, this, this place because you're better than the gathering. You're better than the church. Because you know, it's all you know, really messed up people. Well, it is sick people in need of a healer, in need of a savior. We're not here pretending to be anybody. We're here to worship Jesus. And it is all about Him. Uh, Self-righteousness is when, whether through church going, attendance, or church absence, or church doesn't factor into it at all, we, we try and make our own way to God. We try and chart our own course, our own path to Him, as though we could ever make ourselves righteous in His eyes. So um, uh, someone in church says, oh, I'm not like the people in this world. And then they began to recite the list of things that they do and they don't do instead of pointing to Jesus. Or someone out there says, well, I'm not like those church people. And then they begin to recite all the problems they have with quote-unquote church people as though that makes them superior and closer in some ways to authentic faith and, 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 and relationship with God. It's all self-righteousness. In fact, the whole world is consumed with self-righteousness. Even people who sometimes talk about self-righteousness. So I better be careful. <laughs> self-righteousness is when we are finding our path towards God on our own terms and pointing to things within ourselves that distinguish us from others as though those things that come from us, within us, are sufficient to make us better and thereby bring us to God. But that is not, that's not good news. Because that will condemn each of you. Each of us. We all fall short even of our own standards. Never mind God's. So, so when we are pursuing righteousness, if we actually look at it, the only thing that we should be pointing at that makes me different from the people out there or in here is Jesus. I really strongly advise against thinking in terms or speaking in terms of I'm not like those other people. Because that's what the, the, the Pharisee Jesus talked about said when he went into the temple to pray and there was someone else there and he said, thank you God that I'm not like this person, this tax collector. The flesh is always stirring up within us thoughts of how we are better and how they are worse. But that is not at all what we should be thinking. We should put those thoughts of ourselves and who we are and what we are and what we do aside and we should be fixated on Jesus. It is Him who saves. He is the one who makes righteous. The text we just read says that He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Justification means... Declared righteous. Declared righteous. Not, not made righteous in this case. It's not in the sense of Jesus suddenly changes your life. At this point, that's not what He's talking about. Rather, He is speaking in the language of a legal decree. You are guilty. But Jesus says, righteous. Jesus says, Holy. Jesus says, set apart 
for me. Mine. You know, the, the story from the Old Testament of the priest, and he's clothed in dirty robes. It was a vision. It's one of my favorite um, pictures from Scripture is this priest who has stood in the presence of God clothed in filth, and Satan is there accusing him. And I often say it, the things that you should worry about most are not the lies of Satan, but the truth that Satan speaks. When he points at you and says stuff that you know is true, that you're a sinner, that you're guilty, that you should be ashamed, and all of that stuff, it's actually not wrong. But he's accusing. And he's not offering any redemption. He does that not just to um, non-Christians. In fact, to non-Christians, he tells them they're okay. Oftentimes it's people when they get into priestly relationship and proximity to God that suddenly the guilt starts being heaped on. When you're trying to walk with the Lord and He tells you what a rubbish job you're doing of it. He points the finger and says, Sinner! And God points the finger and says to His angels, take these dirty clothes off of Him and give Him new robes, clean robes, washed clean. That's what Jesus does. By His resurrection, the text tells us that He was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we who were guilty sinners might be declared innocent and righteous in the presence of God. So you can go free. Your sins are covered. They're cleansed. The debt is paid. Be at peace. Only the one who trusts in Jesus. Only the one who knows that Jesus has risen because if Jesus just died, that's it. But if Jesus has risen, that means He actually did something on the cross. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater not only than our self-righteousness, it tells us that Jesus is greater than our unrighteousness. Look at Romans 5.10. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Now skip down to Romans chapter 6. Verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see that? So Jesus declares you righteous, but you still have some sin problems to sort out. Does, does Jesus keep you as you are? I had occasion yesterday to tell someone who as soon as I, I innocently invited him to um, uh, today, I thought you know, it was a friendly enough thing to do, um, and suddenly he sort of puts me on blast about um, certain lifestyle things that he has going that are incompatible with um, Christian faith and practice. 
I was like, I didn't bring that up. You did. And um, I did actually tell him that, more or less. <laughs> and and we, we began to have a conversation uh, in which I, I had to, to be clear. Jesus tells you, indeed you, here, come as you are. It is not... It is not, oh, I've got to get this sorted out or oh, I can't come because I've got oh, this problem in my life and this is not compatible and I know it's not. Come as you are. He declares you righteous and He deals with your unrighteousness. He, he not only declares you righteous, but He makes you righteous. You enter into His death, so you learn to die to sin. You enter into His life, so you learn to live to God. Jesus is greater than our unrighteousness. Keep going. Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than the law's righteousness. So this is, we've gotten out of ourselves now and we're going to a standard of righteousness. Indeed, one which is given by God. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Who gave that written code? God. God gave the law. And the do's and the don'ts of the law are given by God. But read the Scriptures and you see the entrance of a new covenant. And a lot of people struggle at this point because there is that sense in which they've even misunderstood the old into some system whereby they can be saved by works. It was never the case. In any case, what we have is a new covenant in Jesus Christ. You are set free from the law and its condemnations. Do you believe that? So some people distort this into all manner of things. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Paul's even re uh, recognizing that when he says, shall we sin that grace may abound. That does not change the truth. That you are set free from any system, any pattern. Yes, the one given by God, definitely, because that's what he's talking about, but also the other ones that people create, which honestly are far worse. It's like we, we have the commands that God has given are quite enough. But then other pe people create other rules. And there are things that Jesus explicitly says. That God explicitly says are dealt with. Jesus, for example, in the book of Mark declares all food to be clean. And then there's someone always over, over your shoulder judging you for what you're, you know, what, is, that, is, that, is that meat clean? Is that... Is that consistent with the you know, book of Leviticus? Look, we, we don't have 
time this morning to go into a sort of a, the threefold use of the law uh, that we believe in. Uh, nor are we able to break down all of those things of there's the ceremonial law and there is the moral law. And, um, uh, you know, we shouldn't get those categories confused, but it's important. Jesus frees us from the types, from the figures, from the shadows, from everything that points to Him and His uniqueness and His distinctness because He's entered the picture. He's taken center stage. That can go away. People can choose the diet that they wish. People can choose to celebrate as they please to. You know, so there are Christian brothers and sisters who will celebrate the Passover um, as Passover. And as they celebrate the Passover, they will point to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our daughter church at the Angel does that every year. They have a full-on Seder meal. Amazing. No problem. can be a beautiful thing. But when you are saying, do this, don't do that, if you're a Christian, you would. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't. On things that the Bible doesn't speak to at all. Zethel, remember, we were doing door to door. A sister, no less, kept apologizing about her clothing, which looked like very comfortable, uh, sort of, um, I would say, urban wear, um, I think is how they sell it in the shops. It was basically a tracksuit. Really, really comfortable looking one, too. Oh, God knows, I just felt really, you know, what? No. <laughs> why is this a subject of conversation? Why do we have when the pastor suddenly swings round to act like, oh, you, you, you caught me in a state of sin because I'm wearing comfortable clothing? That's legalism, friends. All sorts of ideas that people have where they're always, yeah, these things. Jesus says, no more. You're free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I, I see it far too often. Someone's like, you know, should I stay in a hotel on the Sabbath? I'm going on holiday with my wife. And I'm not really sure if, if we're... Because if, people have to work to run the, the hotel. And I just... Yeah. <laughs> At some point, something snaps inside. And I'm just wondering, like, guys, do we not see the enslaving patterns we've fallen into in our hearts and minds when we're obsessing over every little thing like this? The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than the law's righteousness. Because it says, we've died to the law through the body of Christ. Yes, the one that was hung on the cross so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead. Not in order so that you may live unrighteous lives. Get silly. But so that you may bear fruit for God. You'll find that so many of these other things often prevent the growth of fruit. But where there is freedom, there is flourishing. Let's, let's keep going. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than our personal weakness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
It's what I prayed earlier. If Jesus got out of the grave, should it be the will of the Lord that you get out of your sick bed? You will get out of your sick bed. If Jesus overcame death, you can, should it be the will of the Lord, because Jesus is risen, overcome anything. Do you believe that? Can, I mean, can, can, you, can you bear witness to that? I know people get crazy and they start saying things like, you know, oh, you will be healed. And someone's like, you know, actually, I'm pretty sure that I, I will be healed, but not in the way that you think. Um, he's going to bring me into his kingdom. And uh, that's, you know, I'm, I'm literally one or two days away from it. And uh, that, that, that kind of healing happens. People, people are, no, 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 no. You're, you'll be, and they're very, very disillusioned because, no, the person didn't. We've seen it before where somewhat cultic groups will, after someone has died, will enter into a season of denial about the reality of that person's death and the finality of it, I should say. And um, uh, the heart breaks because it is utterly sincere and trusting. But they will pray over the body. They'll sink over the body and all of this. But they're missing something. This mortality must be put off so that immortality might be put on. Nonetheless, while we have mortality, we have mortality. We have life. And Jesus heals. Jesus helps. Jesus sustains. We have a sister here this morning. I didn't see it first, but I thought I heard you saying amen a few times. And, um, and, and it filled my, my heart with gladness because Jesus is risen. Because Jesus is risen, she's risen. You know, it's across the board. You can say that. If you have known help in your life, if you have known healing in your life, if you have known strength in your life from sickness, from weakness, from whatever it may be, it's because Jesus is risen. And He has all power in His hands. You keep going. Romans 8, 34-39. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than the world's wickedness. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? Do you see how those things are manufactured crises that are created by a wicked world in rebellion against God? But shall they separate us? Shall they win? No. Because Jesus is risen. As it is written, verse 36, For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. There's that victim mentality that journalist was talking about. Victimhood or whatever. Yes, sheep to be slaughtered. But he says no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because Jesus is risen. So nothing in heaven or in hell or in this world can come against you and bring valid condemnation and bring eternal destruction to you if you're trusting in the risen Savior. You got to keep going. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than all our sins. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Please hear me. We're, the, the landing strip is in sight. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. He doesn't say, if, if, unless you did this. That thing you said, mm, yeah, that, that kind of that stacks up long term. I don't think He's going to save you on that. Mm. that. That thing you did, Definitely the unforgivable sin. Definitely unforgivable. No redemption for that one. Uh, that, that, that thing you felt or feel. Yeah, that, that's, that's, the, that's really the breaker here. That, it's the exception that proves the rule. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing on all who call on Him. For, and now he quotes the Old Testament, the prophecy, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins. You won't be put to shame. Why? Because you've, well, you would have been put to shame because you sinned. Maybe you feel this moment that you are clothed in shame. You feel within your soul shame. But the Scriptures are saying you won't be put to shame. Sometimes that's the voice of the accuser saying, stay away, stay away from there. People keep out. They literally will not cross the threshold of a church building because they feel shame. Why is it that when I sent that invitation text to this man that I'd previously enjoyed good conversation with, did he immediately react with the various sins that he chooses to continue in, even though I wasn't asking, and kept telling him, regardless, you're still welcome, you're still invited. Come. I think he blocked me. Um, got the single tick treatment. It's 24 hours, so... I think what's done is done. But my last message was simply to take a step back and see that I didn't talk about that stuff. 
nor was I unkind in disagreement. All I'm offering is what Jesus is offering to you this morning. Come. Weary, heavy laden, burdened by sin, feeling shame. Jesus Christ is appealing to His people. Come. You're, you're, you're like, I, I've, I'm, I'm too far. He came near. He is here. He is with us. Because we wouldn't go to Him. We couldn't go to Him. The sin and the shame was a barrier to us, but not to Him. He came through. And He saves to the uttermost all who come to Him. That could be you today if you're not yet trusting in Jesus. One final thing. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is greater than our own death. Let me put this in perspective for you. If you do not see that this is the day of salvation, you, know, you literally don't know what a day may bring. You know you're alive now. You know you're alive here in this moment. And you're hearing the call of the gospel, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, come as you are to Him. Don't expect to stay as you are, but submit yourself to a loving Lord and Savior who will lead you into His kingdom. This is someone saying, this is the fire exit. Literally, it is. Um, should have a sign there, but in, we're, get, we're getting that sorted. This is a fire exit. Well, I don't want to go that way. <laughs> this is the fire exit. Ah, can't I just go out the window? Why? I, I, I came in that door. I prefer those doors. They're big, they're wide, they're spacious. That's just a little door. It's going to, there's going to be a problem there. There's going to be a, a you know, bottleneck. Or I, I'm worried about the way. This is the fire exit. This is the way to safety. This is the way to salvation. So in the same way, we might say, Jesus is the way. And the way is narrow. And it has to take someone to point it out because few are those who just find it. But for those who enter that way, they also know it is truth and it is life. Come to Jesus. What if you choose to go the other way? Eternity is coming. There is death and then there is judgment. Will you be judged on the merits of your righteousness, which we've already established is inadequate? Or will you be judged on the merits of Christ's righteousness? If you go that way, you're trusting in yourself and you're saying, oh, I'm, I can save myself. If you're going the way of Christ... You're saying, I can't trust myself, but I am trusting in Jesus. Jesus saves. Read Romans 14, verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me.
and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Because Jesus is risen, we all will rise, but into what state? Because Jesus is risen, we will all confess that He is Lord. We will all bow our knees and and worship Him. The question is not whether we will worship Him. The question is our location. When? Will, Will we be worshiping Him filled with the overwhelming joy of knowing Him and the power of His resurrection filled with great joy because though we are unworthy, He is our worth. And we have found everything in Him that we need. And so we are captivated by His beauty and glory and goodness and we're worshiping Him in that state. Or are we worshiping Him from a place of condemnation? Is it heaven or is it hell? Is it a place of eternal joy or of eternal justice? Jesus Christ is raised to tell us that He is greater than our own death. There's something beyond. And the question is, what is beyond for you and me? Now, I've said a lot about Jesus being greater. We've walked through quite a few passages, and some of you may be saying, I need, need, need to have a recap of that, a quick digest. Hear me out. Jesus is greater He is greater than our self-righteousness. He is greater than our unrighteousness. He is greater than the law's righteousness. He is greater than our personal weakness. He is greater than the world's wickedness. He is greater than all our sins. He is greater even than our own death and the judgment thereafter. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because Jesus is risen, I can repent of my sins, I can trust in Him, I can know He is Lord and Savior, I can be declared righteous, I can be brought into right relationship with God, I can be made righteous progressively throughout my life as I'm set apart, unique and distinct for Him, I can know one day I will enter His presence Glorified, pure, blameless. And for now, I live my life with a mission as one who has received grace and has been sent out with a message to represent Jesus, to bring about the obedience of the nations. Back where we began. Because Jesus is risen, I know that divine justice is satisfied. Divine anger is turned away. My sins are washed away. Christ's righteousness is put on me. His merits are credited to my account. I am brought into citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. And what is more, sonship in the house of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God. I do not have to remain in guilt. Shame, anxiety, fear, or despair. I can renounce the devil and all his works and all his lies and I can embrace the way, the truth, and the life wherever it takes me because I know the destination. Because Jesus is risen, we can live leaving yesterday, living today, and facing tomorrow. 
Because Jesus is risen, we have healing for our past, help in the present, and hope for the future, and a heavenly home forever. Because Jesus is risen, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Because Jesus is risen, I can say, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Because Jesus is risen, I can't speak for you, but I can say for me and ask that you follow suit. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. May He save you out of yours because He's risen. Heavenly Father, thank You for loving us that You sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us. And not only to die for us, but to rise for us. Thank You that the cross is empty. Thank You that the tomb is empty. Thank You that heaven is full, but there's room for more. And so I pray, Lord, that we would all enter into the glorious joy of Your presence. An innumerable number of people who know our sins are paid for. Justice is satisfied. Wrath turned away. We are ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. Lord, this, this, this moment, may people call upon You. Even as, um, as I pray, friends, maybe now is the moment for you to call upon the name of the Lord. The Scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do not let a moment pass. Will you call upon His name? Lord Jesus, please save to the uttermost all who come to You. Hear our prayers. Have mercy upon us, sinners. Hear the prayers of any now who are calling in their hearts upon You for the first time. Lord, may they ask You for forgiveness. May they confess their sins. May they confess that You are Savior. May they confess that You are Lord. May they trust in You and turn away from all self-righteousness, all unrighteousness, every evil thing. May they put their lives into the hands of the God who saves. Amen.